after the service. Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys today. You glad to, you glad to be here? Get a little space in life to breathe a little bit maybe. That's good. We all need that a little bit. As I'm sitting up here and we dismiss the kids, I see this like whole army of kids leaving the room, which is really cool. We love our kids and I'm really glad they get to be with us. I hope you know it's an intentional thing for them to be with us in our worship service and so they could be with us and experience that together. And then because I would bore them silly, uh, we let them leave. So, you know, I may bore you silly and some of you may be like, I want to go down there. So who knows? But you know, when it comes to kids, you, you love kids, right? Because they're just so real they're so raw, they're so honest, they're so innocent and vulnerable and all these things. So, you know, I, I was thinking this week, our kids often will do and say some pretty crazy stuff though, right? Um, I, yeah, what are some crazy things that you've seen kids do or say? Anybody have any examples that like stick out in your mind? You can't, no, you can't share them. Okay. Some of them are not appropriate for church. Okay. Yes. That would be, that's a true statement. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what you got? Oh, if you get in a car accident, you need a COVID test. So there you go. We've ingrained COVID testing into children. There we go. <laughs> what you got? <laughs> oh, you're my new daddy. Oh, well, no. Oh, one back there. Oh, so they just blabbed everything. Yeah, that's not something you need told. I got a speeding ticket and yeah, kids, kids are great though, aren't they? I mean, kids are amazing. I was looking online this week and uh, I, I found like some letters to God. This is thanks to Steve Harvey. Um, I found these on his website here. But look at some of these uh, letters that he found to God. These are pretty good. So here's one. It says, Dear God, are you invisible or just hiding because you don't like your clothes? It's a good question, right? It's a good question. Um, or this one. To God, if you grant me three wishes, I'll give you anything you want except my chest set or my money. <laughs> At least he's honest, you know, Mike, way to go. Here's another one. Dear God, please, oh, this one's tough. Dear God, please make me pretty because I don't think I'm very smart. That's sad, right? I, it was on the list. I'm sorry. It's kids. That's a kid, right? It's how kids think. Uh, here's another one. Dear God, I bet it's hard to love everyone in the whole world because I can't even love my little sister. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that one? There we go. Yep, yep, yep. Um, here's one more. Um, dear God, if dinosaurs were not extinct, we'd all be eaten and dead, so you did the right thing. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? Here's, some more, here's a few more examples right here. Is that what you said? I just wanted to tell you happy birthday and I love you. <laughs> oh, 
on the ball. Yeah, put your eye on the ball. You got to keep your eye on the ball. dissolve them in the vinegar and then we get to put the water in and then we can die. Okay? I don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> you talk from out the street. Only a bad one is open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining chocolate from out the whipped cream. That was a real video sent to me this week from my wife. Um, I was trying to interpret that to put the subtitles on it last night, and I'm asking him, I'm like, now what were you saying here? And he was absolutely no help. You know, kids are amazing, right? I mean, kids are so much fun, except when they're like, mommy's fat. That's really, you know, hard to love them then. But man, just their perspective on life, the simplicity, the naivety, the innocence. Um, But we realize quickly that when we're talking to children, as enjoyable it might, as it might be, that if life begins to get challenging, when life doesn't make sense, the reasoning of a child becomes really insufficient to process what we're going through. You know, they just can't grasp it, and there's, there's not a lot they can do to help. And that's why we try to educate kids. We teach them. We allow them to explore, and we even allow them to make mistakes. I mean, we should. You know, we can't prevent everything, and so we we need them to make mistakes sometimes. And, and even when it drives us absolutely bonkers, we encourage them to ask the questions. We want them to explore because we know this is how children grow. This is natural part of development, and it? it's, it's what should be taking place because if it's not, we get concerned. I've shared before that when Jasmine came to live in our home, after she'd been with us about a month, she went to the doctor and they sent her to the hospital with a condition called th- failure to thrive. She wasn't eating. She wasn't gaining weight. She was losing as a 10 or 11 month old. They're very concerned about that. And so they put her in the hospital. They pump her full of, of nutrients and, and liquids and all that good stuff because we recognize that if a child isn't growing and developing, it's a problem. It's a concern. But for some reason, Sometimes when it comes to faith, we take a really different approach. And I'm not really sure why. Because maybe we start hearing people ask questions and we're like, no, 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 no. Good Christians don't ask questions. You just believe. We want to limit it. We want to stop that. And so what we do is we push them maybe to say, well, you just need to read the Bible more. And you just need to get more Bible facts and more Bible knowledge. But when we start exploring ideas about what brought us to faith in the first place, what happens sometimes inside that faith community is we can be met with disappointment, those disappointed looks, the condescending attitudes, and yes, sometimes even social ostracism, because this is not often the place where we get to explore the challenges, the deep questions, the things that we're really struggling with. So it's almost like we get pushed back to the place where they're like, just believe. Just go back to when you were six and you came to faith and that's all you need. Don't ask anything beyond that. What is it about this that when if we saw this in the physical and mental and emotional development of a child, we'd be like, this is wrong, this is bad. But in faith, we encourage it. So that's what we want to kind of look at that. Why is this? 
What is it about this that we get to a place where we feel like if people start asking those hard questions, that it, we see it as a threat to be neutralized, not as something to be embraced or explored? So last week we began this new series. We're calling it Deconstruction, When Faith Shatters, where each week we're going to be looking at what we've discovered is not really a new trend at all, but something that continues to happen and continues to get more and more attention in our, in our culture and society. And that is when we begin to ask the hard questions, when we break down those things that maybe were instrumental in bringing us to faith and following Jesus. What is that? What happens when we start to do that? And just in case you were curious, is this really something that's going on? I did a quick search on Instagram and just looked up the hashtag deconstruction. And on Thursday, when I looked that up, there were 307,000 posts with the hashtag deconstruction. So this is something that is real. It's something that people are exploring. It's something that people want to know more about. And so we're just going to continue to dive in. And so just for a quick reminder, last week we talked about our faith isn't founded on religious principles. It's not founded on a philosophy or even a belief system or even a book. It's founded on Jesus Christ, who's a very real man who lived, taught with authority, who performed miracles. He died and he rose from the dead. And we saw that the resurrection is critical because if we don't have the resurrection, there's no foundation. We might as well just walk away. This is only this only works if Jesus rose from the dead. And so if he didn't, we're gullible, we're stupid, we're living our lives around something that isn't true. So we believe in the resurrection. Because if it is true, it changes everything. It changes our reason for living. It gives us hope in this screwed up world that we live in, that this isn't all that there is. And it shows us a love unlike anything we have experienced in this world. But because more of you aren't like me, thank God for that, and you don't consume unhealthy amounts of Christian news on a daily basis, you might not be as familiar with this idea of deconstruction. So I want to bring you with me on my journey. I, I will tell you, I love to read. Um, I love to process. I mean, I, I've got more notes in this series than I've ever had on any series before because this topic just fascinates me. But I want to bring you with me on this journey. And so today what we're going to do is kind of start at the beginning. We did the foundation last week, but today I want to, what we're calling is Shattered Faith 101. What is deconstruction? Are there benefits to it? Are there dangers to it? How do we respond to it when we see it happening in us and those around us? So let's just kind of dive right in. Today's going to be a, a little bit different than what we normally do, so I hope you, I hope you enjoy this like I did uh, studying for it. So, But well, we defined deconstruction last week okay, as a crisis of faith, that can really do one of two things. It can lead to a reevaluation or an abandonment of Christianity. It's kind of like we, we, there's almost no middle ground here. There can be. But for a lot of people, you hear the stories, the ones that get published, the ones that are on the magazine covers. It's always those prominent Christians who were leading and pastoring a church, and they deconstruct, and, and everybody like, you know, is like, oh, look at this. They've walked away completely from faith. Or people just kind of continue following Jesus. There's, there's really very little middle ground here. It's actually a term. It's not new, it, but the term was actually originated in the 20th century by a French philosopher, believe it or not. His name is Jacques Derrida. He's the one that wrote a book, and he began to talk about deconstruction. But what's interesting is that when he began to talk about it, he began to do it in kind of an academic sense, and he talked about it more around words and literary analysis. And here's kind of where he went with this. This is kind of a very basic understanding. But 
he began to just say, you, break, you can break down words over and over and over and over again until basically you get to the point where nothing has meaning. That's depressing, isn't it? I mean, just think about that. If you can break down everything where there is, there's not even a meaning to a word, that was kind of where he went with that whole thing. And you can be a stickler about this, and you can actually say, well, we're not doing that. We're not breaking down the meaning of words to the place where there's no meaning. You're right. But we always know that our, our culture, our society can grab onto an idea, and they morph. They change. They begin to become something new. And so even though we're not technically doing deconstruction as it was defined by Derrida in the 20th century, what we're seeing is that it is something that we've embraced, that it's become this term that we, that we center around. And so what we do is we say that instead of just being about words and maybe even just breaking down the Bible, that we, we take deconstruction, we say it can happen not just to words and things that are written, it can happen to things like philosophy, religion, and faith, and worldviews. And really where we see that it's taken off and really popularized today is in the realm of faith and religion. Because what it does at its core is it really begins to question those commonly held beliefs, even those things that brought you to Jesus. And we begin to just reevaluate them. We begin to ask tough questions about them. And for some people, this process is devastating, resulting in them leaving the faith altogether. For others it can actually be a faith-strengthening exercise. I mean, it's, it's, that's how we kind of have to view it. It can be one of those things. And we must realize that there are many different shades of this. In fact, over the coming weeks, we're going to kind of dig into various aspects of this. But as I was reading this week, there's a Christian scholar that I follow, and his name is Pete Enns. And he wrote this. He said, in my experience, people do not so much deconstruct from Christianity, but from certain forms of Christianity that claim to be the only Christianity. And that's kind of an interesting way to look at this, because what we find is that when we begin to question, it's questioning a certain vein of Christianity. And then that becomes, well, I won't go any further because we're going to dig into this. And so the next point is just simply this. As we think about that, when it comes to faith, anytime you start to reevaluate, anytime you start to ask those questions, people get really, really nervous. Anybody experienced that before? You ask some of those questions and people around you kind of look and go, yeah, you shouldn't be asking that. One author actually said that people, Christians, are losing their minds over deconstruction. It's something we, we were so threatened by. In fact, recently there was a story that I read uh, about the, the band Skillet. Their front man, his name is John Cooper, and he was in the news, and his, there was a video that went viral because he was at a concert. And he said this, he said, it is time that we declare war against this deconstruction Christian movement. I don't even like calling it deconstruction, uh, deconstruction Christian. There's nothing Christian about it. It's a false religion. Okay, so what do you do with that? You have this guy, he's popular, he's, you know, before thousands of people in these concerts, and he's telling you that if you even approach this, it's a false religion. I look at that and I go, John, why are you so threatened by this? What is, what is going on? There was a famous pastor, he a pastor's a church in, Dallas, in the Dallas area, his name's Matt Chandler. He's written several books, and, and I've read some, and listened to some of his sermons, and uh, overall, 
I'm not 100% with him, but he's a decent guy. He's preaching the word, you know, all that good stuff. And here's what he says. He says, you and I are in an age where deconstruction and the turning away from and leaving the faith has become sort of the sexy thing to do. I contend that if you ever experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ actually, that that's really impossible to deconstruct from. Again, Matt, I don't agree. What is it about this that we become so threatened that if people begin even to ask the difficult questions, we're like, you stop that. Don't do that. Jesus, you, you haven't experienced true faith, true Jesus, if you're willing to ask that question. And if you look at these and many other statements, you would assume that deconstruction is the worst possible thing that could ever happen to a Christian. And to be fair, it's not a fun experience. I mean, just think for a moment. Have any of you, you don't have to answer this out loud, just think about this rhetorically. Have any of you deconstructed some of the things that brought you to faith as a kid, as a teenager later in life? How did that feel? Are you signing up for that? Are you like, woohoo, that was amazing? No, you're like, you feel shaken to your core. And yet these guys act like people are just doing it for fun. But is it the threat to Christianity that these and some other people are really making it out to be? And I'm just going to tell you, I don't think so. I don't think that it is. I think there are dangers, and we're going to discuss some of those in a moment. If we tear down just to tear down without trying to rebuild something, yeah, I think we may have a problem. But I think one of the biggest problems with this entire process is misunderstanding of what leads people to deconstruct in the first place. What is it that leads people to this point that says, I need to question some things? What is that? So why do people deconstruct? Well, if you had to guess, and where this is where you can respond to me now, why do you think people deconstruct? What do you think happens in people's life to ask those kind of life-changing questions? Loss. Loss. Okay, hurt and pain. What, Absolutely. What you believe is not coming to pass. Okay, yep. What else? Oh, well, they're just wrong. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> what else? Oh, man. And doesn't social media help that? Because <laughs> everybody puts reality on their social media, not pretty Natural big. Disasters. Okay. Yep. Heroes that fall from grace and Yep. We've seen that a lot in the last five to ten years. Yep. Anything else? I've got a list. Go ahead. Curiosity. Absolutely. Sometimes it is just curiosity. Yeah. It is always a bit dangerous to question people's motives, you know, when we think what might bring people to deconstruction. But I think if we think about that, it's good. We don't, you know, we want to understand. And if you've never gone through the process, or if you have, you know what people can be thinking. But if you never have, we want understanding. And here's the challenge, though. We have to be careful and not assign improper motives without maybe talking to people that are going through, it, through this. And can we please stop assuming the worst about people and their motives? 
I mean, for some reason, when we get to this topic, it's easy for us to just start thinking the worst. Well, they just, you know, uh, we're going to talk about this in a second, but somebody, uh, one of the things we were talking about this week was that I saw online, somebody said, well, why do people deconstruct? Well, they're just anti-faith. Really? Everybody that deconstructs is anti-faith. No, like we said, it's a painful, painful process. Oh, God, help us. Nobody does this because they think, or like Matt Chandler said, I want street cred. I want, I want to be seen cool because it's the sexy thing to do right now. No, this is shaking us to our core. We, ha- we need to stop trying to assume or assign improper motives to people and then stop assuming the worst. In fact, recently I read an article that said, here are four reasons people deconstruct. Let me tell you, this article is written by somebody I know and respect. I've read several of their books. I've loved their books. And I read this article and I went, oh, because they said, let me give you the four reasons, the four causes that people deconstruct. And the first one they listed was this. They said, church hurt. Church hurt. Absolutely. Somebody you follow falls from grace. You see a massive moral failure or whatever, that can be it. Or maybe you were abused being in a church. It could be spiritual abuse, authority, you know, being lorded over you. And God help us, we've seen more and more cases of sexual and physical abuse happening within the church than we should ever have seen or known possible, but it's there. And so you understand if you've experienced that level of hurt, yeah, it might cause you to, to deconstruct. There's a lot of that going on right now. Things coming to light that we didn't know about, that we needed to. In fact, just recently, there's a guy in Canada that I've been following for years, and I mean, just a pastor that I loved. I mean, I've I've been listening to him for, what, four or five years, and it comes out that he was carrying on an affair for multiple years and forced his resignation, and then after he resigned, two more women came forward, and I'm just, I'm devastated. I'm crushed because, I mean, this is a guy, he was an incredible Bible teacher. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it this way, but he was kind of my pastor in some sense because he's where I would go to listen to, to great teaching. And there he is, fallen, you know. So I get church hurt can be a reason for it. But the second article, the second cause the article listed was poor teaching. Maybe, maybe poor teaching, poor theology could be part of it. We fail to see the Jesus of the Bible different from our interpretation of the Jesus of the Bible? Does that make sense? I mean, we assume, we, we want to say things like the Bible is the inerrant, without error word of God. And what we mean by that is that my interpretation of that is inerrant. And that's not, you know, that can be a little bit, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. We're going to talk all about the Bible uh, and where the Bible comes in. So poor teaching, maybe that could be part of it. What's interesting about this is that we always assume that it's other people's teaching that's bad or wrong. We don't think mine is because if you start questioning me, then what's wrong with you? You know, we've got to open up our minds a little bit. We can't be so afraid of thinking that we assume we're right all the time. We're not inerrant. We have flawed interpretations at times and we need to be okay with that. So these two, honestly, I was okay with these two. And then we got to the third cause he listed and it said... A desire to sin. Okay. <laughs> I was even ta- watching a video this week, and the guy was talking. He was counseling a woman who saying, my friend left the faith, and the, the pastor goes, oh, well, has she started doing things that she'd never do before, and, you know, things might, we, we might call sin? And she's like, yeah, there you go. The only reason she's deconstructing is because she wants to sin more. <sighs> Maybe, but I really doubt it. 
I mean, I don't think you just ditch your entire faith of your childhood because you want to go party it up more. I just don't see that. I, I think those that do this are the exception and not the rule. The last one they listed was this, street cred, and I mentioned that earlier. We saw that in the Matt Chandler quote. It's sexy to deconstruct. Really? Really? I, I don't get this one either. There was a very popular Christian author and pastor. In 2019, he wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Anybody hear that book? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, anybody read that book? You don't have to admit it. Um, it was part of this whole purity culture of Christianity back then. And, you know, he was 20 years old and he gave everybody the advice on how to have a solid marriage, even though he'd never been married a day in his life. Why we as Christians platform these people, I have no idea. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Well, what happened with this guy? He ended up, he and his wife got divorced. He walked away from pastoring, and then he walked away from God altogether. In fact, he posted on Instagram that I no longer consider myself to be a Christian. What was even better was when he actually, last year, tried to attempt to launch a five-week course on he would help you deconstruct your faith. For the low, low price of $275, he would be willing to help you deconstruct. I mean, he took it down quickly after some well-deserved criticism, but I mean, it's just, this is what we're dealing with in the world. And I can, I'll tell you, I can give a lot of grace on the first two because I think those are very real, but the last two to me are just really ridiculous, which is why there are multiple question marks at the end of those because as I typed that slide, I thought, nope, I don't believe that. We need to realize, as I've said, that people who are genuinely asking these tough questions, who are going through this process, this is one of the most painful processes you can go through as an individual. It's one of the most challenging, the most difficult. Your world feels like it is crashing down around you. And if you felt like you could stop it, you would. But your genuine doubts, your genuine questions aren't something that you can just be like, nope, whoa, push them down, and I just won't deal with it. You just can't do it. Do that. It's just not real. And when you see or experience, Megan, like you were talking about, the evil in the world, the, national, the natural disasters, the pain, when you see the church's response or the church's lack of a response to the evil in the world, to trauma, to racism, to abuse, when you encounter theological contradictions and easy answers just don't cut it anymore, you find yourself in a very dark and difficult place. And we can minimize what people are experiencing, or we can try to understand. We don't have to be afraid of this. Can I say that again? We don't have to be afraid of this. In fact, if legitimate questions and doubts can destroy our faith, it wasn't much of a faith to begin with. And I mean that more from us sitting on the outside watching people struggle. If somebody else's questions derail your faith, it says more about our faith than it does theirs. But we do need to realize that there are a large number of people going through this. One statistic I read this week said that sociologists find that 43 to 44% of people will go through a major faith transition at some point in their life. And nearly 60% of people raised in Christian churches deconstruct following high school. Now, for those non-math majors out there, let's round up and let's just call it half. <laughs> I mean, look around you. In this room, half. Half of the people will go through a major faith transition at some point. 
Now, this doesn't have to be walking away from faith. It can be changing denominations. It can be from belief to atheism. It can be from non-belief to belief. But, guys, that's a huge number. 50%. 50%. And so if so many people are experiencing this, we need to understand it. And it will feel like going through the fire. In fact, we nearly called this series, a, we called it a, nearly called it controlled burn. Because there needs to be a bit of a controlled burn. While fire can be a bad thing, it can destroy everything in its path, it can also purify, and it can also strengthen. And what we need to find is a faith that is forged through the fire, because this will be what helps deepen our faith. And instead of finding insecurity, we can actually, through the fire, find security. And notice I said security, not certainty, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks, the difference between knowing and being certain and the sin of certainty and how faith and certainty are kind of, you know, con conflicting there. But there, are, there can be some benefits to this process of deconstruction. One is we can move from a childish and immature understanding of God to a, to a faith with a more robust understanding of who God is. I mean, we don't and we shouldn't see the world like we did when we were seven. We don't and we shouldn't see the world like we did when we were 12 or 15 or 21, or in my case, even 40. We grow, we change, we mature. And I, I, my life is a testament to the fact that the older you get, the less you realize you know. I ought to be 21 again and know everything. But we would, we, we, when it comes to faith, we have to say, oh, this is okay. This, is, this can mature our faith. We also understand that sometimes deconstruction can reveal our blind spots, our prejudices, and our presuppositions, those lenses through which we approach faith and the world. We need that exposed. It can be a work of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? That the Holy Spirit can be the one doing this. Think back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. These first Christians are trying to figure out, do you have to become a Jew before you can follow Jesus? And this was a debate. They had to call a council over this and like debate this idea. And when it came down to it, they were like, no, you do not have to become a Jew to, to, to follow Jesus. What was that? That was a little bit of deconstruction, taking the Judaism down and allowing the freedom of following Jesus to come in. That was a work of the Holy Spirit of God to tear down some of those core beliefs to see what is or may not be required. You ever realize that most of Jesus's ministry, especially the Sermon on the Mount, he made this statement, you've heard it said, but I say, you've heard it said, but I say, what was he doing? He was deconstructing. Um, it can bring about revival. This can be the thing that sparks something within us to want to see a fresh new move of God. Steve Rogers shared with me this week, though, he said he'd heard it before, said that people who were in the last great move of God always seem to persecute those in the next move of God. Hmm, we don't like that. Uh, I'm running out of time, sorry. But dangers of deconstruction. Let's look at some of these real quick. What is this? It's easy to do. As one author put it, any fool can do it. So we need to be careful because it's very easy to deconstruct. I think there's a danger in deconstructing alone. Yeah. I think when you do it by yourself, yeah, we need community. I think we, there's a danger in limiting ourselves to dualistic thinking. You're in or you're out. It's up or it's down. There are often multiple nuances here that we need to be willing to see. I think a danger is relativistic thinking with no authority. I think we have to get back to something. We can't just say nothing matters. That it's all relative. What, we're all going to believe something. What is it we're going to believe and what is it that we're going to give that authority in our life? 
And then the last one is just not reconstructing or at least attempting to reconstruct. You see, when we think about the process of faith, what we're really talking about is a couple ways to think about it. It's order, disorder, and reorder. Or you can talk about it in construction, deconstruction, and reconstruction. What are we talking about? When we all come to faith, it begins with that order or that construction. We build something up. But as we grow and as we mature and as we experience life, there's going to be a disorder. There's going to be a deconstruction where things need to come down. And where sometimes we think Christian faith is all about adding, 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 adding new beliefs, adding new theology, adding whatever. That's not the case. It's addition and subtraction. Sometimes you have to subtract the negative, subtract the things you may not have understood, subtract the things that no longer make sense before you can add. And then we get to the place where it is reconstruction again. Now, what's the whole point of this? Brent, you haven't even talked about scripture yet. You're exactly right. Here's your passage for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is talking about love. He's talking about order in the church. He's talking about spiritual gifts. And when he's talking to these people, he writes this. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Look at this next verse. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, when completeness comes, we shall see face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Did you catch that? Paul, the guy that we would say, awesome guy, loved Jesus turned around his life, deconstructed his whole Judaism to follow Jesus, gave his life as a martyr for the faith. Spent his entire adult life, most of it, going around, planting churches, helping churches, bringing people to understand, know, and follow Jesus. And this guy, who we would lift up as a pillar of the faith, he says, now I know in part. What we see is a reflection. You see, I think somewhere along the way, we got the idea that faith was certainty, and you never question, it's just believe. But even Paul says here, we see dimly, as through a mirror. That word that's translated there, like mirror, it's, uh, it's the word enigma, which is where we get our word enigma from, a riddle, a mystery. We don't know fully, and that's okay, because we have an honest pursuit of Jesus. We look, we read, we see who Jesus is, and we follow That's what we're talking about here. This needs to be an ongoing process, and it shouldn't scare or intimidate us. But I will say, when we see people going through this, you know what it should do? It should encourage within us compassion. Compassion. If our first reaction is anger, that's on us. If our first reaction is to push people away, that's on us. And we need to say, why am I feeling this way? Our first reaction should be, compassion. I heard somebody say, share this week that when they were in seminary, their theology professor shared with them a faith that can't be tested, can't be trusted. So what do we do with this? I think we come to it and we say, if we know people that are deconstructing, we want to find compassion. This does not have to destroy our faith. In fact, this can be the fire that helps us mature our faith. We don't have to be scared of the questions they're asking. And you know what? Uh, Repeat after me. I don't know. I don't know. 
I've just given you a very acceptable answer when people come to you with questions about faith that you can't answer. You say, I don't know. And you know what? Here's what's crazy. You may study the Bible. You may go ask other people. And when you get to the end of all that study, you know what you may still say? I don't know. And that's okay. Because there's still a little bit of our faith that is mystery. That's why we call it faith. So find compassion for those around you. If you're going through this, what I want you to hear today is you're not alone. Stick with us. Keep coming back. We're digging into this week in, week out to figure out what do we do with this. And I'm just going to tell you, you're not going to get to the end and go, oh, my deconstruction is fixed. That's not the goal. But the other side of this is just simply this. Understand that your deconstruction, deconstruction is not the end game. That's not what you're trying to do. It's trying to grow and it's trying to find a deeper faith in knowing and following Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're thankful.